It is good to see everyone. If everyone could take a seat. I'm going to be reading the scripture passage for today, which is Psalm 23. If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand, um, and some of our friends can come around and give you one. If you don't own a Bible, you are free to take that. That's our gift to you. All right. Today's reading is Psalm 23. So please stand with me as we read the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Church. Good morning. I'm excited to gather with you this morning as as if you've been at our church for a long time. I'm excited every Lord's Day. And it's not because I'm just excited to see you, which I am. It's because the chorus of the redeemed get a chance to gather together to sing forth the praises of our God. That is a heavenly desire that God has sown into each one of our hearts. And so I love it as I get a chance to come in each and every Sunday. I get here around 8 o'clock. And the first smile I get to see and the counted on every week hug I get is from Matt Sutherland. Just the faithful servant serving in the shadows, making sure that we have coffee, making sure that we're hospitably each welcomed here. And then as the morning goes on, I'm reminded of just different things that are going on in each person's life. You see, I love being a part of a small church with a large heart for God. I love being a part of each other's lives in in different ways. And so I get a chance, as you guys are coming in each and every Sunday, I get a chance to give thanks. Lord, thank you for what I know that you're doing in Sarah Lillard's life in the midst of her pain and struggles. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in the midst of Sarah Lillard. Amanda Filler, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in the midst of her life. Thank you that other people within our church are getting a chance to come around the fillers right now and to encourage them and to spur them on towards love and good deeds. I'm amped that some college students are back and that we, Lord willing, will receive you all, you that are here and those of your friends that come in a few weeks. And so I just get excited. I get excited about what God is up to in the midst of our church because he's doing something glorious. And this last couple months has been challenging, has been challenging me in my own walk with God because I look at myself, just so you guys know, I look at myself as a member of this church before I do a minister. I look at myself as, as a sheep before I'm ever called to be an under shepherd. And this last couple of months, there's been a lot of highs and there've been a whole lot of lows. And in the midst of that, I I found myself at different moments crying out to God. And one particular moment that shapes what we will talk about for the rest of the morning was me sitting on 66. The rain was pouring down. 
I got another text from a family within our church that had a miscarriage. I was then keenly reminded of a friend that I haven't seen in years, Kai and I, haven't seen them in years, and we find out that they have breast cancer. And I'm heading back to the hospital to visit our amazing sister, Kelsey, and her dear husband. Praise God that traffic was terrible on 66 that day. So I got a chance to sit in the rain. And I just began crying. I'm not a big crier. Emotional, yes. Not a big crier. But I just started crying. And in the midst of that, I started crying out to God saying, Lord, I need a word from you. I need a word from you. So I started crying and calling out to God. And in that moment, what came to my mind was, it is well with my soul. And then what came flooding into my mind was Psalm 23, 1. Now for most of you who grew up in Christian homes, you've memorized that passage over and over and over again. I didn't have that blessing. It's still a new passage for me. And it flooded into my crying and calling out heart. And it gave me this confidence in the midst of my tears and in the midst of the pain. And the Lord met me in such a unique way and instilled in me a confidence. A confidence to go on. A confidence to press on. And so my message simply today is Psalm, out of Psalm 23.1. We're going to focus in on one verse and a psalm of confidence. I pray that we would be a church. Justin prays that we will be a church. Tom prays that we will be a church that is confident. That we could say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I get home later that evening. And I began praying, Lord, I, I want to have the confidence that Horatio Spafford had. Horatio Spafford is the very one who penned, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford was late 1800s, about 1871, Chicago businessman, had a wife and four daughters. In the Chicago fires, I believe it was 1871, don't check me on that, there are fires in Chicago late 1800s. His business burned to the ground. They lost everything but what was in their homes. In the midst of all that grief, in the midst of all that stress, in the midst of all that struggle, he and his wife decide, we need a break. We are going to sail to England. So they book tickets. As they're preparing to head onto the ship, Horatio is made aware of a business meeting that he needed to attend last minute. He says, wife, Go on for now, and I will see you soon. He heads to his meeting. His wife and daughters get on the ship. As they get on the ship, just one of a normal day of sailing, it starts to get dark. In the midst of that darkness, a, a storm comes, thundering against the ship, and another ship couldn't see them, and it slammed into them. And in the course of 12 minutes, the very ship, that his wife and daughters was on, was decimated. 
His wife clung to a piece of the wreckage, but couldn't keep clinging to her four daughters. And they all drowned while she was looking at them. She then is able to get to Wales. She's able to send just a brief note back to Horatio. Saved alone. Can you just imagine for a moment getting that? I don't care whether you're a dad or a mom. Single or not, and don't have kids. Your world in that moment has just gotten rocked. In the midst of tears, in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, Horatio Spafford books a ticket sailing the same way that his family went to England, the same route. As he's sailing along, he looks at the captain and says, I don't care when you get me up, get me up when we're starting to pass over the place where my daughters perished. It's 2 a.m. one evening, a rap on his door, grabs his jacket, gets dressed, comes to the ship's um, deck, and under the dimness of that light, he knew not how he would respond. Ten minutes out, sir. Five minutes out, sir. Horatio, this is where your daughter's passed. In that moment, he knew not how he would respond, but God met him. You see, Horatio knew that the Lord was his shepherd and that he shall not want. God began in that moment restoring his soul as the ship passed over the bodies of his daughters. He took out an old envelope and a pencil that he discovered in his coat pocket, and he began to write. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, join me, it is well, it is well with my soul. Where did Horatio get this confidence? You see, he knew what, what David knew also, that our confidence, and hear me on this and then follow me all through before you chase me down. Our confidence is not in knowing God. Our confidence is knowing that the Lord is my Lord. David's confidence was in shouting forth, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It wasn't in believing in some creator that was somehow distant from him. It was believing that the creator was his creator and Lord of his life. Our confidence is not in knowing the Lord. Our confidence is knowing that the Lord is my Lord. The Lord is your Lord. One of the most defining characteristics of a Christian, and particularly a maturing Christian, is confidence. Knowing the grandeur and the glory of God, not, as I've said before, as some aloof creator, but as the one who is our very shepherd. When we say something is mine, 
we do so knowing that it possesses us and we possess it. Whatever is mine, here in this case being the Lord, we are declaring with confidence that we are not our own. He is mine and I am his. This is a psalm of confidence in God's presence, God's comfort, and intimate knowledge of us. We do not know the setting of this psalm, but we seek to understand the beautiful and unique relationship that exists between a sheep and his shepherd. An image, a metaphor that is oftentimes lost on us. We have very little interaction with sheep and we have very little interaction with shepherds. And if you're like me, your only interaction with them, I'm a city boy, your only interaction with them is if your family, my family can convince me to go to Frying Pan Park. The two things I can know of when I go to Frying Pan Park are, one, I'm going to end up smelling like sheep or pigs by the end of the day, and two, I'm going to leave with some sort of a sinus infection. I'm very dramatic (laughs) and allergic to that sort of wildlife and stuff like that. But often, not wildlife, I mean, it's, it's in pens, but it's just... See, I don't even know that world. (laughs) So it's a metaphor that was lost on me for a while until I really pressed into it. And as I looked at this psalm, I just found my confidence soaring as I really focused in on it. And I pray that yours does this morning as we answer this question. As sheep, which we are, as sheep, what confidence do we have? Do we have? Not are we waiting for, but do we have, knowing that the Lord is your shepherd? What confidence do you have in knowing that the Lord is your shepherd? Here are three brief observations of this unique and beautiful relationship. You have the shepherd's presence. Turn a sheep loose in the wilderness and it will die. They can't provide for their own food like lions and tigers. A shepherd watches over the sheep. The sheep of his flock are his responsibility. As wolves seek to destroy, he defends. They can't defend themselves from predators. They have no natural way of fighting a predator. And to make matters even worse... Sheep are prone to wander. As we just heard in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Sheep are prone to wander. Prone to leave the shepherd they claim to love. Are you getting the picture because it really hit me hard. Are you getting the picture of how much we're like sheep? In our context, it'd be like telling a newborn to provide for themselves, to lead yourself, feed yourself, and protect yourself. They would survive a little while, but would soon perish. We are sheep in need of a shepherd. We are like newborn babies in need of a father or a mother. 
And you may be wondering, does it mean that we will never experience failure, sorrow, depression, disease, or loss? Well, we can all attest with our own lives. No. God's sheep have, have always faced and always will face challenges in life, just like real sheep do. We live in a constant cycle of danger, deliverance, all along the way, dwelling with God, my shepherd, your shepherd. Our confidence to face trials does not come from the absence of the trial, but the presence of God in the midst of them. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of darkness. Fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. It is not the absence we long for. It is for his very presence that we long for in the midst of our pain. The presence of God being his Lord gave Horatio Spafford confidence to face grief with hope. Observation number two. You have a shepherd's comfort. If you want to personalize it in your notes even more, I have a shepherd's comfort. Sheep are easily frightened. Anxiety is their constant friend. They literally are scared of their own shadow. A good shepherd has no greater reward and no higher joy than to see his sheep content and confident in his care. And he's willing to pay for this result with his own life, if need be. Does this remind you of Jesus, our good and chief shepherd? Do you remember what Christ said? In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, the thief, speaking of Satan and false shepherds, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, speaking of Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. How well any given group of sheep live is directly related to what kind of shepherd they have. Sheep who have a gentle, kind, brave, and sacrificial shepherd are confident and ultimately left wanting for nothing. Sheep that have a cruel, cowardly, and selfish shepherd experience deterioration, distraction, and eventual destruction. Please hear me. Christ is not that type of shepherd. Amen? Christ is not that type of shepherd. If you are here and you're in Christ, you can say, my Christ is not that shepherd. My Christ is not that shepherd. His greatest want is for his glory 
and our good. A prayer of thanks. As I try to begin each day, I try to begin times of prayer with giving thanks. Even in the midst of sorrows, in the midst of pain, in the midst of depression, in the midst of weird concussion stuff. I'm trying to cultivate gratitude in my own heart. Gratitude that can say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We begin almost every staff meeting giving thanks. We begin times when we gather together as elders and and deacons. What do we have to give thanks for? And sometimes I can go on for a while. But there's no greater thing for us to go on for a while in than giving thanks. And so a prayer of thanks that has comforted me, and I pray it comforts you. I say this to the Lord, your comfort abounds. As your children abide in you, your comfort abounds as your children abide in you. Observation number three, the shepherd's union with his sheep. (laughs) You are united. So it's not even just that the shepherd is, is present in your life. It's not even that he's there to, to comfort you, but you are united to the shepherd. There is no distance. He's there. You are united to the good shepherd, and a good shepherd has an intimate, personal relationship with the sheep, each and every one of them. The shepherd values each sheep. The shepherd values you. The shepherd loves you. In your notes, right. The shepherd loves me. He values me. No other shepherd can serve as a stand-in or a substitute. A voice that both guides and guards them. A voice that is worthy of complete trust. A voice that is treasured above all else. A voice that is worthy of complete trust. Each sheep is uniquely loved and provided. They leave no wanting for nothing. Beyond of this, beyond all of this, there is this mystical union that forms. The shepherd and the sheep become family. One expert on shepherding said this, beneath the burning skies and the clear starry nights of Palestine, there grows up between the shepherd and his flock a union of attachment and tenderness, a kind of familial relationship. The shepherd knows his sheep and is known of them. Jesus said this of his union with us. Not just us as a collective, with you. The sheep hear his voice, referring to Christ. And he calls his own sheep by name. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Freddie, I love you. Rebecca, I love you. Gabe, I love you. Naomi Marinick, I love you. Kelsey Diber, I love you. Amanda Filler, I love you. Kim Torres, I love you. Bram, I love you. He calls you by name. Every one of you. 
He knows you. The shepherd knows his sheep and is known of them. When he has brought you all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They, I, you, are fully known and fully loved. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. A question for you to think about later. Do you think of God's shepherding of you like this? Do you find your deepest comfort in his voice? R.C. Sproul said it this way. We are secure, <laughs> not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. He first clung to you. He first said, you will be the sheep of my fold before you ever, ever thought about clinging to him. He said, you will be mine. In the midst of all your mess and all your glory, knowing it better than you even know it yourselves, he said, you will be my sheep. I will know you, I will love you, and I will sacrifice. I will sacrifice my son for you. Do you think of God shepherding of you like this? Now, there's some of you that the church is a new thing. I get it. I didn't always wake up rolling out to church on Sunday morning. This may be a new message. Or maybe a message you've heard something like numerous times. And, and you may be asking the question, how do I know if I'm included in the sheep who Jesus knows? And how can I know that God is my shepherd. <laughs> if you're already asking that question, you're well on your way to finding the answer. Because no one who wants to rebel against God says, how do I recognize this glorious God is my good shepherd? You know? You're already on the way. Very simply, do you admit that you are not the Lord, the shepherd of your life? Have you come to find your trust, your confidence in God? Do you want to be able to say with David, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Contemplate those questions. As you think through that and as your answer becomes by the power of the gospel, by the spirit of, of, the, of Christ, if your answer becomes yes, you're starting to make steps to finding your confidence in God being your good shepherd. I would love to talk to you after service. I would love to answer your questions, but for whatever reason, if you need to leave and you answer yes to those questions, please do follow up. I promise we won't berate you. We just want to get to know you. But I pray that your contemplation this afternoon would be John 10, the gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the last one. Just soak in chapter 10. Confidence flourishes when we confess each morning the Lord is my shepherd. It gives us the confidence to face whatever life will throw at us. Confidence to face suffering and say, you will not rob me of joy. A confidence that says, I will rejoice in the Lord 
always. A confidence to say, I count all things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my shepherd. A confidence that is able to look into the face of sin and slay it by saying, I'm not your slave anymore. I'm loved by the good shepherd. Being confident in God being your God, the Lord of your life, gives you the confidence to face sin and say with confidence, get behind me, Satan. It gives us a confidence to stare death in the face and say, you will not have the last word. As I was thinking through all of this, contemplating it, helping me understand it, Lord, I, I want you to stoke my fire for you even more. Lord, I want to know you more. Help me to, to envision you correctly, please, Father. And I was reminded of a poem that I think far too many Christians take for granted because it's sold in every Christian bookstore. It hangs in every Christian's bathroom almost. It's the poem called Footprints. And I do just, amen. And I do, I do pray, I'm going to read a little bit of it right now, and you may have heard it numerous times, and it literally may be over your toilet right now. <laughs> but I'm going to read it. And almost I'm going to ask you to do this too when you read God's word. Say, Lord, help me to hear this for the first time. You know, the first time when it just hits you and it met you in a sweet place. And if you're not familiar with this poem, ha welcome to a gift. A man dreamed that he was walking down the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed different scenes of his life. And each along the way in the sand, there were his footprints. And then there were other footprints. They were God's footprints. And this gave the man great confidence to know that the Lord was always walking beside him. But the man noticed in those moments when his life had been the toughest, there was only one set of footprints in the sand. The man became bothered. His confidence was shaken. And he said to the Lord, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would never leave me alone. But I see the footprints and I see that there are only one set of them. I don't understand why. Why did you abandon me, Lord? And God, the good shepherd, replied, My precious child, during those times of deep suffering, come on now. During these times of deep suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, that is when I carried you. As you cry out to God, He is ever present. He's always comforting you. And He's united with you. A shepherd leads from the front, He protects from the side. And from behind, he carries us when we are too weary to go on. After hearing all of this, he may be saying yes and amen. Yes and amen. The Lord is my shepherd. 
comma, I shall not want. I don't know about you all, but I'm sometimes left wanting. There's quite a gap between the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse. And as I spent time this week wondering what is that gap, because it's not a gap on God's end, let's just be clear. (laughs) It's a gap on my end. And I started thinking about what does even that mean, I shall not want, and just very simply it means, in God my soul wants for nothing. If you read the rest of the psalm, your soul doesn't want for rest when it's at rest with God. Your soul doesn't long for restoration because it's being restored in God. When your soul is longing for comfort as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it is his rod and his staff that will comfort you. Our soul's deepest desires are met in Christ. But even in that, Lord, I'm I'm still... I'm still left wanting at times. And so in closing, I'll ask a question that I try to ask myself multiple times throughout a given week as I'm studying Scripture. It's a question that I have found time and time again to reveal what is hindering me from not just knowing God, but from experiencing Him. So the question is this. What sin does this psalm expose in you? For me. What sin does this psalm expose in you, Edward? What sin is robbing you? What sin is robbing me of confidence? You see, we do have wolves in our lives. Wolves from without and wolves from within. One of the things that I have been deeply blessed by was after 9-11, I got a chance to sit down and read the 9-11 commission report, which is very long. It was around that time that I was helping do stuff in the Middle East or being, moving in that direction, learning more about the Middle East and what was going on. And one line has stuck out to me and marked me more than most lines ever have in the books I'm reading. And it's simply this. This is out of the middle of 9-11 Commission report. To misunderstand the nature and threat of evil is to risk being blindsided by it. And so when we don't ask ourselves regularly, What sin does this passage expose in my heart? We're missing an evil that is lurking. An evil that only wants to kill and destroy and depress and distract and whatever other D word you want to add in there. So write out that question. So as I sat asking myself this question with my journal open, my heart exposed. See, we don't just read God's word to read God's word. God's words also reads us. That's why most of us stay away from it. Sin either drives you to it or it drives you away from it. And so as I'm asking myself this question, I'm then, I then go through a time of repentance and I think, Lord, how do I broaden this out? And what do I, what do I see in other people's lives robbing them of, of confidence in you? And here are three of the many that float into my journal. 
Number one, I'm calling us to repent. (laughs) Me and you, to repent. Repent of our prideful self-righteousness. We desire for autonomy. We desire to be accountable to ourselves. We want to boast in ourselves. And at the height of our pride, we want others to boast in us. You want to be your own shepherd, as do I. And when God's will and ways do not align with ours, we rebel. Pride is starved and humility is fed when we say with humble confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. Our confidence fades and falters when we try to be the shepherd of our own lives. My self-righteousness is oftentimes most clearly on display when I sit in my own suffering or when I'm sitting with others who are suffering. If you loved me, then you would take this away. If you loved me, God, I'm paying a lot of money for this neurologist to just shrug his shoulders at me and not tell me that my my brain is not functioning at this level, that it may deteriorate quicker in my life than ever before. Where are you in that moment? Then I leave an appointment and I go to someone else and someone else is interacting with suffering. Lord, if you're so good, where are you? And you see the sin in that moment is I'm telling what God would I think best. No good thing. Will he withhold who walk uprightly? David did not boast in his opulent possessions and power. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And I left that portion of my journal. Edward, is that your boast? And I would share with you, is that your boast? Sin number two, repent. Repent of thinking God is small. You see, we often project on God in just this small little way. We oftentimes project on God the hurts and the limitations that we've experienced from others. The others have that have served, served as under-shepherds. The other people in our life who were tasked to lead, feed, and protect us, whether that be parents, grandparents, guardians, bosses, pastors, or other friends. Often one of the most limiting factors that we place upon God are the hurts that we've, hurt, we've, um, we've felt from others. And we need to repent when we project our limitations upon God, which then leads us to doubt Him. And then as I wrote in my journal, this is what come to my mind. They have hurt me, so will you, Lord. They said this about me, so will you, Lord. And then in that, 
I was led to just this intensely freeing prayer. Lord, please forgive me for putting you, the infinite God, into the finite box of my mind. Lord, please forgive me for projecting the limitations that I've experienced from others, the hurts that I've experienced and projecting those upon you. If you're looking for text to meditate upon, as you're trying to have an, have an ever grander, more accurate view of God, I would recommend meditating this afternoon on Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31, or Romans 11, 33 through 36. I would ask you potentially not to study them, but just to saturate your mind with them. The last sin, because now I'm uncomfortable. Number three, repent for spending so little time, Edward, church. Repent for spending so little time listening to the voice of God. And spend more time listening to the voice of others, culture, and even our own. We spend little time listening to the voice of God that is most clearly on display in His Holy Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is right and sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. As it goes on in Psalm 19. And my prayer for our church, my prayer for myself, my prayer for my wife, my prayer for our kids. As it goes on in Psalm 19, it says, Moreover, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than also than honey, and dripping of the honeycomb. And you only benefit from a drip if you're under it. And you're receiving it. We must respent, repent for how such little time we spend with the voice of God. Do you spend more time looking at Facebook and Instagram than you do God's word? A unique study has just come, come out of the UK. And it says this. An intensive study coming out of the UK, after surveying thousands of people, they found Instagram was the, most, was the worst platform for mental health and led to sleep loss, body image issues, anxiety, and a fear of missing out. They were left, we were left, if we spend more time with those things, wanting. What sins is this psalm exposing you? What sin is robbing you of confidence? What sin is robbing you of confidence that if something devastating were to happen, you couldn't say with Horatio Spafford in the midst of his grief, it is well, it is well with my soul. As we prepare for communion, as I've been sharing, 
And as the Spirit has been faithful, I pray you would enter into just this, a sweet time of confession. Because it's, it's when we come before this glorious God, who is our shepherd and who is speaking to us right now, that we're holding on to these things and he's saying, come to me and just release, release it to me so that you can be confident in me. And so don't look at repentance as something that is all that negative. Repentance is on the path to experiencing the renewing of the mind that is guaranteed for all Christians. And then in that renewing of the mind, we come to rejoice in the glory of Christ, our good shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep. That's why we celebrate communion each and every week. As you come to the table, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. There was a real man upon a real cross whose body was broken and whose blood poured forth. It was a death like no other, leading to a result like no other. Freedom from the shackles of shame and guilt as his blood poured forth. Our sin was washed away. And as we claim Christ as our Savior, as our good shepherd, that truth is ours. We repent. Take it, take it all. Experiencing that renewing of the mind and then rejoicing in the power of the gospel. Amen? That is ours in Christ. And so as you're sitting here this morning, take a bless you. Take a moment and confess your sin. Confess your sin, I beg of you, and I beg of you, church, please do not get up from your Bible study without saying, what sin does this passage expose? Because I long for us to be a church. Justin longs for us to be a church. Tom longs for us to be a church. Members of this church, we, we long to be confident in Christ, no matter what comes our way. If you're here and you don't claim Christ as your good shepherd, you don't claim Christ as your savior, just chill. Chill in your seat. You see, the people that are getting up and coming forward to the tables in the front and in the back are not doing so as some empty religious thing, as some sort of symbolic thing that really doesn't mean anything. It's because their lives were changed by Jesus Christ. And if you're not at that moment yet today, just hang in your seat and contemplate the songs that you've heard sung, the prayers that you've heard prayed, the, the preaching that you just heard. Contemplate it. Think about it. It matters. There is a God. He did create you. You must get to know him. I love you all very much. And I count it a joy amongst my other brothers to be an under-shepherd in this church. It is our deepest desire to protect you, to guard you, to stir your affections for Christ and your God-given ministries. So take just a moment and ask yourself, Lord, what sin are you exposing right now? 
And then come forward to this table. Experience that renewing of the mind. Come forward to the table. <clears throat> and rejoice in the power of the gospel. And then we're going to sing forth his praises. And then you guys, we're going to get a chance to hear from Kim. Kim Torres is back. And we're gonna, she's going to share about what God's doing in her life and how we can be praying for her and loving her and encouraging her. But be praying, Lord, are you calling me to be like Kim? <clears throat> are you calling me to go? And then we're going to end with a benediction. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for being Jehovah the self-existent, independent, self-sustaining, never-changing God, our shepherd. You give us the rest and the restoration that our souls are longing for. Help us. Help our insecurities. Please, Father, help our insecurities to drown in your securing love. And in you being stable in the midst of an unstable world. Our confidence is in you. Our good shepherd. Our souls want. For no other. In Jesus' precious and holy and matchless name. We as a church pray. Amen. Amen.